0: I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Huh? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Are you? This is the stupid cancer show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. <laughs> There, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs>
1: People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and
0: Matthew Zach. woo Nothing is anything wrong with us. Because there's a lot of chips. <laughs> oh, All <that>. right. <laughs>
2: Sunday, June 10th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary. I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer.
3: And I'm Emily Morrison, also a brain cancer survivor, stepping in for Annie Goodman as your guest co-host for the evening.
2: Alrighty, it is not okay that okay. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer under 40, sucks, huh? Time to get busy, leave me, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time.
3: Tonight's show, Decoding Annie Parker, is the breakthrough film about the discovery of the BRCA1 gene responsible for many breast and ovarian cancers. Join us as we welcome writer, director Stephen Bernstein. And Annie Parker herself, along with Susan Friedman, founder and executive director of FORCE, to discuss this subject matter. Young adult survivor Noah Zachary joins us in the Survivor Spotlight.
4: The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to Annie
2: and all of our first time listeners here on the Stupid Cancer Show as we'll come to you live from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. Hello. Hello.
3: What's
2: up? You're not Annie.
3: I am not Annie.
2: What happened to Annie? You tell me. Annie had stupid cancer a year ago and she's going through the it ain't over when it's over, but she's fine. She's having a reconstruction procedure and has had a minor outpatient surgery today. We've been
4: discussing it on and off the
2: yeah. show for weeks.
4: Yes, her so What, what did she call
2: her breasts? Basketballs or uh, uh, Something yeah. like that. Because they're inflated with sanely now. They don't feel like human I, I, issue. I think she had the implants put in today. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing. So they've
4: been yeah. inflating and inflating. I and think, doing I think, it. I think yeah. she's at the end of her journey in terms of reconstruction. We Real are
3: sending her
2: our love.
3: Wishing she's her all the best.
2: Wishing her all the best. And she's going to be out next week, too, so she'll be back in two weeks. Um, so, if you do well tonight, Emily, you may come back next Monday.
3: Oh, well, thank you. I look forward to
2: that. <laughs> we will poll the audience after <laughs> the show.
3: Please vote.
2: Hi, Kenny. Hello, Matthew. How are you? I'm doing well. What are you up to?
4: Uh, I just got back from San Diego from the AOSW Conference, the Association of Oncology Social Workers.
2: You had the best Instagram ever? <clears throat> Which one? Life sucks. Yes. Of the beach? Yeah,
4: I was uh, horizontal for that one, looking up at palm trees.
2: Right. Yes, It's Good.
4: That's what we call downtime at a professional <laughs> conference. So uh, AOSW social workers, how was it? It was great. We went out to Coronado, I guess island. I think it's called the Strand. It's a uh, about fifty dollar cab ride south of the Gaslamp District, which okay. is uh, always fun and exciting. And uh, it was great. We get to meet a lot of uh, social workers. I saw a lot of people there that I knew, strangely enough. Uh, well, you're kind of a big deal. I guess I've been around long enough now to know people. Uh, somebody who actually met during the stupid cancer road trip about two months ago, from Duke, was out there, and we both did like this. Where do I know you from? Wait, where do I know you from? Right. So that was fun. A lot of stupid cancer gospel spreading. Yeah. The word of Matthew, Zachary. Oh yeah. Out there. Okay, good. And uh, as long
2: as there's no clones of me out there.
4: No, no. Just a
3: cardboard cutout. Yeah. Yeah. Oh
4: yeah, no cardboard cutout. Yes, yes. Just, just, uh, just the word of stupid cancer.
2: But our, our, our. are, uh,
4: wristbands and literature yeah that, the, that the groupie stuff better. was
2: out there all, yeah. the, uh, all the, our friends of the nonprofit profit groups are yep. there yep so uh, friends from Triage Cancer
4: Cancer and Careers Single Jingles uh, Sage Bolty from uh, Life with Cancer Mass Kickers Eric Galvez from Mass Kickers the oh, usual yeah, pack of people the First Descent yeah everybody we, it's like I. Johnny I, was Johnny there Johnny was not there I don't think anyone from Immerman Angels was there either
2: Ooh. we
4: uh, I describe it to my friends as kind of like bands on tour Ah, You you see the same people in different cities, and you form this second-family professional type of thing. It's interesting. Not always professional, though. Well attended? Very well attended, yeah. Apparently, uh, attendance was up. I mean, who would want to go out to San Diego in the first place, let alone hang out on the beach, Coronado, for three and a half days? The the Hotel Del Coronado or the Coronado Beach? It was the Coronado Lowe's, or the Lowe's Coronado. Okay. Very nice place. I mentioned it today. It could be a future OMG location. You think so? Maybe like Ooh. OMG 2024. OMG West. Yeah. Very wet. It's got – it's an interesting OMG, setup. great weather. Yes. The pool, everything is centric to the pool, so all the
2: buildings are fanned out around the pool. Like, it's like this big concentric thing? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I had a wonderful experience. My first time ever going to Washington and going to do legislative work, like actually not really lobbying – but I was invited by our friends uh, at the um, Safer Chemicals Ask Healthy to- Families, Lindsay Dahl, yes. um, to come and uh, give a hearing, speak at a hearing to 50 or so uh, interns and staffers about this bill that's coming up. Uh, the Safer Chemicals Act, which is now called something else, called TSCA, uh is up for sort of a reimagining to be put into the the floor. It has support from, and I, I sound like I'm like a DC guy just saying this, but I learned this. It has support from 10 Democrats and 10 Republicans who've signed onto it, and that never happens before. So they're going to roll with it and keep it like bipartisan, but it's going to accomplish probably more than half of what they originally had set out for. But it was it was, the the champion of the bill was Frank Lautenberg who just passed away last week. So everyone's reeling, who's going to be the new Fra- Frank mm. Lautenberg from the Democrats to stand by this bill? So they're trying to find that. So the purpose of this hearing, and I also got to speak with people at uh, Chuck Schumer's office, Kirsten Gillibrand's office, which is very cool because I am a New Yorker and they vote and they care about me. And uh, just to tell my story and mention that my organization that I work for and I founded, that Kenny's part of, or all a part of, Stupid Cancer, represents the interests of Millions of Americans under 40 who are concerned about the crap that goes in our air, food, and water that is unregulated. And I don't mind if it says on there, this contains shit that will kill you. It's still my choice to buy it. I just might not. So the industry is afraid that if they start labeling things, people won't buy them, so it becomes an economic issue. I,
4: similar but different, when they started putting the calories on burritos at Chipotle, it didn't get me to stop right, eating exactly. Them. It just made me more aware of how much I was eating.
2: Right, so in terms of knowing my audience, it was more than just telling them my story and what super cancer is about, but there actually is an economic pro to labeling carcinogens and identifying them as carcinogens just for the stat There are 80,000 known chemicals in industry today, 80,000 known chemicals, artificially created in labs, um, everything from dexametha, hexa-something to something else that sounds like that. Of those 80,000, only something like 800 are regulated.
3: Wow. And it
2: all started with margarine. (laughs) Just kidding. And hot dogs. And hot dogs. So everything that we eat and breathe—that's in our couch, our, our fabric softener—that's in our cars. Apparently, that new car smell is an engineered chemical that's un- unregulated, and they—they they put like like this fire retardant stuff in the seats to make it smell good. But if you sit on it, you get a puff of smoke, and you breathe it, it's, anyway. So the bill is really exciting because it's supposed to reel in a little more, you know, transparency <clears throat> on in Washington. But the part that I, I made the case for is that economically, let's look at. Um, uh seventh generation, right? They created a completely transparent, like chemical free brand, and they're selling like hotcakes. They're one of the leading brands in the country for cleaners. Method is taking over the country now. So if you make a product that consumers want, and there's eighty five percent consumer consensus on this, the public, the voting public wants transparency. You can create, you know, Dow Chemical and S.G. Johnson Wax and whatever. You can create products that compete with your own products but make them clean, like the pomalov that's clear next to the pomalov that's green or orange or whatever. Anyway, that's my stump series. I enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Very, very disheartening to see how challenging it is to have conversations with people. And actually sitting there with lobbyists, I actually met lobbyists, it's amazing how they have to talk. The way they have to couch their language and the way they speak to delegates and they speak to staffers and chief of staff and interns, it's such a a calculated, semantic dance. Are you thinking about a uh, career change? No, in no way, shape, or form. I would get probably arrested within five minutes of being a lobbyist because I would probably hit somebody for you, being stupid. you just curse at people Yeah, you can't do that. It's all politics and dipl- diplomacy. In the right way to say the right words, I, the way they just spoke—that clearly that describes the opposite of you. It they're is are playing the opposite. Diplomacy, yeah. yeah. It's but anyway, it was it was just it was just an amazing experience to be down there, to be in the Senate buildings, to walk past the Senate offices and see senators and congressmen going by. Next time I go, I, w- I said I want to go into the Capitol building. I want to see the the big room. And then they put you on their watch list. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we get to Noah, the, the last part that I found really cool, and this is not a secret, but they told me about it. There is a secret subway between all the Senate buildings and the Capitol building.
0: Wow. So no
2: one who works for the government ever has to walk anywhere. There's a whole, like, path train <laughs> underneath the three Senate buildings, and it just literally takes you underground to the Capitol building. And did you get to you out. ride it? No, I did see it, though. It's very cool. I'm sure they serve warm chocolate chip cookies. They must do something And, and like people that. smoke cigars on them. Yeah, uh, Probably, yes. That's the FDR rule. Yes. So you must be this political to ride this train. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so that was my experience, uh, the opposite of going to San Diego and enjoying the weather. Yeah, you rode the subway underneath everything. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go outside. But it was super cool, really super cool. In any case, let's get to our uh, – we are joined live in studio by a wonderful guy who I had the privilege of meeting very recently thanks to another Stupid Cancer Show alumni, Xuan Gui. Um Noah Zachary is in the house. He is diagnosed, uh, He was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of nine, which by his pale complexion was maybe three years ago. <laughs> All right. Anyway, oh, 17 years later, okay. Uh, guess what? He's still here. He's still kicking ass and taking names. He is a brazen young adult cancer advocate, and he's an e- quintessentially helpful in helping us uh, build the brand, identifying ways to grow and do better things. So please welcome, live in studio to the Stupid Cancer Show, Mr. Noah Zachary. Nice last name.
5: Where'd we get it from?
2: Stroke of a pen. Is and that your legal
5: last name? last name? It is my legal last name. Because it's
2: not my legal last name. It's my legal middle name.
5: Your legal middle name? Yes.
2: No, this is my legal last
5: name. Back in the 50s, my grandfather changed it. Decided he wanted to. Uh, Was it
2: something like Super Jewy? It was Zagoran. Oh, my God. That's even worse yeah. than Greenswag. I was just cool with the girl
4: named Zagarin. Zakarin.
2: <laughs> Could be a uh, couple of generations
5: removed. Could be. No, he decided he wanted to be A2Z, so he named he changed his entire name to Alan Timothy Zachary. So wow. A-T-Z.
2: A-T-Z. He
0: thought nice. wow. that was cool. Isn't
2: that the AIDS drug? Or A-Z-T, sorry. Matt decided he wanted two first names. Well, that leads me to my first question, irrelevant of your actual story: Is do people call you Zach all the time? Yes. All the, I mean, I think at least once a day. Yeah. Without without fail.
0: They don't even read
2: your email signature. They don't read no. your name. They just see Zachary and they assume that's your first name. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And when you know when I was going through treatment, just to bring it
5: back to that, you know, they, when you enter into hospital, they put you in you know last name comma first name. Right. They saw that. Yeah. Forget it. I had nurses and doctors calling me Zach. Hey Zach, what's going on? How you doing? I'm
3: Noah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had two hospital IDs because they saw my middle name, thought it was a last name, and I'd been married. So for a very long time, I had two medical records at the same hospital.
2: That's quality that's creative excellence. Right. At its best. That's certifiably mm-hmm. successful. Yeah. All right, so you were nine. I was nine. Nine years old. Yes. With all the, Did you have the same kind of hair? That's epic hair, dude. That's good stuff.
5: I'm very proud of my hair.
2: I miss that hair. I used to have yeah. that hair.
5: I uh, I got the flow going. I got, yeah. You can't see this on the radio, but I, I do have the flow going. It's, it it's
2: kind of Ben Stiller and Tenenbaums, right?
5: Uh, I, I rock a Jufra every now and then.
2: Ken? There are some curls. It's good. No, he's a good-looking kid. I'm not qualified to weigh in on, <laughs> on, on
5: the matter of the Jufra.
2: So nine, let's see, nine was third grade.
0: Third grade. You were living in yeah. Manhattan?
5: I was living in Manhattan. The Knicks had just lost to the Bulls in the Eastern Conference semis.
2: Wait, that's basketball, right? Uh, that
5: is, I'm sorry. I forgot you're not a sports fan. No, so that okay. was a basketball reference. Okay,
2: that's Michael Jordan that and Scotty Pippen.
3: Very good.
5: Wow,
2: okay.
3: That was impressive.
4: Dennis Rodman wasn't sure if he was a man or a woman. Are
3: we sure now? Right.
5: Uh, maybe.
2: Patrick Ewing.
5: Pat. John Starks? Yes, okay. Okay, all right. Uh, it's
2: in there somewhere. I just don't care, but I can pluck at it every now and then. I mean... You were around for these for these events. This was historical. The Knicks, that the Rangers. Oh.
0: Right,
2: but when you were nine, I was probably nineteen. Yeah, that's about right. I was nineteen when you were nine.
0: Not that old.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I am that old. Yes. Thirty-nine. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So anyway, so you're nine in third grade. You what? You have a fever. You had a rash. What happened? I Had none of that. This is this is crazy. I and I I'm
5: relearning a lot of this now. Um. I went in for a camp physical to go to camp in New York City. I have to go to the doctor to make sure that when you go for a jog, you won't keel over and right. yeah um make sure you got all your shots. so the doctor's you know giving me the exam, and then he feels some lumps in my neck and that was how I presented now. If you're a forensic scientist, you'll you know look at it as a month ago a month before that. I was taking. Did he just say forensic scientist? I
0: did. He did. It's way above
5: my pay grade. Right. I'm sorry. Okay. If you're an investigator, okay, detective. All right. All right. Dick Tracy. Go Dick ahead. Tracy. If Dick Tracy was looking at this, he would say, "Well, like he had his birthday party two months ago, and he was playing basketball, and he was short of breath, and his dad was yelling at to hustle, and he just wasn't hustling." Um, a month later, I was in the park, and I, you know, got short of breath very quickly. Uh, that was the cancer in my lungs. So I did have presentation, but there was no fever.
2: Right. There was so no, atypical, they didn't really think it was a real problem.
5: Until the lumps in the neck were felt. Right. Um, so that was, at that point, stage 3B. Right. Which, if there's four stages...
2: That's about as close as you can get to stage 4 without I, being... Yeah, there. I guess... There's so. no stage 3C.
5: Yeah, so that's close to stage 4. Right. Um, and what's, what struck me was I'd probably been to the doctor maybe a year before. At the long end. So the fact that I was, you know, maybe this is common science, but I advanced from whatever nothing was to that in, you know, a year.
2: You went from, oh,
5: to, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, shit.
2: So you were here in the city.
5: Yeah. did Born and raised. So
2: do you have an older sibling?
5: I have a younger sibling. Okay,
2: so you were the firstborn.
5: I was the firstborn.
2: Okay. Um, what's that called? The Kohane. The, uh, the uh no no I don't okay. think so never mind nah. I'm getting a little Jewy here <laughs> <laughs> I got my goyish co-hosts here it always mm-hmm. gets Jewy I'm, I'm the, the goddess yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly all right so all right so so you you go to the hospital you go to the doctor what what I go to the doctor the
5: doctor says oh shit yeah sends me and my babysitter for uh, X-ray that's when she called my parents and they came and met us for the X-ray which turned into a CAT scan which turned into a trip to the emergency room.
3: And what was your dad hoping for? You told me earlier.
5: So my dad's a doctor, and uh, oh, okay, yeah. So he says he's the only doctor he thinks in the history of doctors to ever hope that his son had tuberculosis.
0: Because
5: <laughs> he, you know, he basically knew it could be one of three things. It was cat scratch fever, which I think we talked about. Yeah, when, that's yeah, odd. that's
2: very scary. Yeah, yeah.
5: Um, I don't even know if you just know. Google that cat scratch fever. Yeah, it's real. Um, we eliminated that pretty quickly. So then it was, you know, tuberculosis was like, that'd be awesome, <laughs> or cancer, which would suck. Yeah. What um, was, you know, so I'm in the emergency room, in there, you know, giving me an exam. They're, and you're not, and you're conscious, you're aware of things. I'm aware of this. Yeah. I'm aware. Um, this was wild, though. I didn't know this. You know, again, before I came on the show, I did a little bit of homework. I, you know, asked my parents, you know, tell me about when I got cancer. Um, apparently, I'd been finger painting that day in school. And I didn't know this, but nine-year-olds wipe the finger paint on their chest and stomach when they're done finger painting. Or maybe that's just me. Okay. Anybody finger paint my kids, My kids eat the finger they eat the paint. They eat the finger paint. Yeah, okay. I Is that think,
3: limited to nine-year-olds?
5: I don't know. I think yeah. Kenny did that Thursday. Yeah, right. that's
3: what I was San kind of Diego. thinking.
5: I'm going to have to check with my fiance. She's a preschool teacher. I'm wondering if they eat
2: the finger paint yeah. or put it
5: on their body. I think body.
3: Kenny's got some finger paint on them I think
2: it's edible, actually, where <laughs> I've just been misled. Or you're using a different kind of finger paint. Emily's getting yeah. dirty. Continue. <laughs>
3: um,
5: so my parents thought, my uh, the doctors thought that my parents were abusing me because I was all black and blue from all the finger paint colors mixing together. It took them about 30 seconds to uh, realize that was not the problem.
3: Just right. Oh. Soap and water got that off. Yeah,
5: yeah. Um,
2: just wash the bruises away.
5: Yeah, wash the bruises away. That'll work. Uh, I fell down the
0: steps. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and I wiped finger paint all over myself. It just yeah. happened. It was an accident. Uh so I think I went into the hospital on a Wednesday or a Thursday maybe. All right. Uh I'm sitting eating a hamburger in the emergency room that my uncle brought me. Solid. Yeah.
2: Um Sloan, NYU?
5: Mount Sinai.
2: Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai.
5: Two oh. thousandth Street and Fifth Avenue.
2: Yes. Yes, okay.
5: There's uh there's a very good diner
2: over there though. Okay.
5: That's where I used to order the burgers. Choose mom. find the diners. We do yeah, we, we do that. I I have a nose and a stomach for diners. This is my specialty. Um, so did they get your chemo, like, right away? So I I was, again, it was, this is was all coming back to me. I was looking up the dates, and I remembered I was getting ke- First of all, when I started the chemo drip, um, a cousin of mine had come to visit and brought me uh, a kush basketball hoop, which I put I in- remember those. Very cool. They stuck to the wall, right? Yes, Yes, they stuck to the wall. Um, and I was, you know, in the bed just shooting at the hoop with the couche And then every now and then when I was feeling a little more, I would get out of the bed and start dunking on the Kooch basketball hoop. Nice. I've ripped it I ripped it down multiple times, that I remember. Um but I remember they started the drip while I was in the hospital, they did a biopsy, everything happened, you know, within thirty six to forty eight hours. Right. Um so I'm you know, playing basketball in the room, getting the drip. My dad goes, you know, it might not be the best idea to be running around playing basketball while you're doing the chemo drip, so why don't you just get back into the bed? Right. Turn on the T V. I'm watching the series finale of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air.
3: Nice. <laughs> nice. An emotional
5: day. An emotional day for us all. Uh, don't they move? Emotional. Don't they move out of the house? They move out of the house, and the whole you know yeah. the line in that show is Will. Will, sorry if you know people are just in the middle of watching Fresh right, Prince right. Netflix season like, season eight. Spoiler alert. Um, Will can't find an apartment. Everybody's moving. They're leaving California. They're moving to New York. He can't find an apartment, but you know he tells them he's got one. It's got floor to floor floors and wall to wall walls. <laughs> nice.
3: When you said New York, born and raised, I had that theme song in my head. There it is. Even though it's Philly.
5: Philly, New York.
3: Whatever. No. Born and raised. East Coast. Playground. Now this is a story all about how my life
5: got memories. Down, What a great, great show.
3: Right Best ever.
5: If you ever get into a bind in life, just think about what Will would do. As a total non sequitur.
2: <laughs> Total non sequitur. Very quickly, because I want to make sure we, we keep on your story. Alfonso Rivera and Will Smith just reenacted the theme song, unbelievable, and did the uh, the, the the dance. What was the, the Carlton dance? No, oh, they, they did the Apache and they did on uh, on uh, what Tom the, Jones? Yeah, with the Graham something show in in London. Um, his name Graham Norton. The Graham Norton show in London. <laughs> he was on promoting the After Earth movie with his kid, and then he had Alvance Rivera just come out out of nowhere and they did the uh they must travel together everywhere <laughs> I
0: know That's really amazing
2: awesome. awesome anyway so let's continue chemo starts you're 9 years old you go back to school what have you can you work can you, i mean at work and you <laughs> can you play with toys i can play with toys i uh i went to school
5: i did school basketball i think i you know eh, contact sports were so the chemo took a lot out of me. So contact sports were a little iffy, but by the summer I pretty much mastered how to balance contact sports and camp, I guess. So, yeah, I would do four days a week of school or camp and one day of chemo. Um, and, you know, I think three hospitalizations in between, you know, anything from a, a bloody finger to a fever would just put you in the hospital yep. for a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently when I, when I was done with chemo, I was so wiped out that they had to wait six weeks to start the radiation. So what should have been the six-month process turned into a nine-, ten-month process. Um, But that was it. Uh, From there, I... Did you lose your hair? I lost my hair. Did the kids at school understand? Did the
2: teacher talk to them about this?
5: The kids at school understood. There were a few insensitive remarks that I remember. Okay. Somebody dubbed me Cancer Boy, which in In hindsight, that kind of sounds like a superhero, but right, yeah. I think at the time I didn't internalize that very well. Um, I remember one time when we went to camp and I had to uh, we went on a camp trip. I had to take uh, my pills on an empty stomach I'm sorry, on a full stomach, full stomach um, and the trip was running late, and the time was all messed up. So I asked the camp counselor to take me to the cafeteria wherever this camp trip was it was a amusement park or something to get me you know something to eat so that when we got off the bus. An hour later, I will have had a full stomach, and I can just swallow the handful of 20 pills or whatever. Right. And I remember a kid sees me getting onto the bus with, like, a hamburger in my hand or something. It all comes back to hamburgers. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> Isn't that funny? I go, common
5: theme tonight. common theme tonight. He goes, that's so unfair. And in hindsight, i was I'm like, think about where you're sitting, and, you know, I'm getting on the bus with the, the no hair and got to go take the pills. And just so happens that I got to have a burger tonight, and you
2: didn't but you'll eat it when you get home. So for what was the period of time between when it all started and kind of when it all ended? Not that it really immediately ended, but... It didn't immediately end. Uh, I'd say, so I
5: started the chemo drip, you know, let's say May 20th. Cause right. that's the finale of Fresh Prince. Sure. Uh, and I was done end of February of 97. Wow, a whole year. Almost. Almost a year. Wow. Yeah. Followed by the follow-up treatment. So this was actually, when you and I met, we talked about how, you know, before me, they didn't really, before us, I guess I should say, yeah. they didn't really follow young
2: adult or pediatric survivors.
5: Right.
0: Um,
2: it, so there was no discussion of late effects or what might happen to you later or that this could come back or you could be infertile, or none of that.
5: No, but, you know, my dad's a doctor, read up on a lot of stuff, and he actually put me on Lipitor at the age of 10. Wow. Which, or it could have even been younger. Uh, which at the time was not a popular thing to do. What was the goal of that? Uh, Protect my heart. You know, Ah. I am an Ashkenazi Jew uh, with a history of... And a baby
2: aspirin. Look who's on a baby aspirin, probably. Yeah, not
5: on the baby aspirin yet, but history of, you know, heart disease in my family. Uh, My heart definitely took a hit. Yeah, sure. With the chemo and the radiation. Well, they tried to shield it with the radiation, so he thought that this would be a good idea. So he threw me on... Lipitor, now I think that's a a standard or a relatively common thing to do, you know, following treatment. All right, so third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, your hair grew back eventually, hopefully? My hair came back. It came back. Maybe you guys can answer this, Matt. You you don't really
2: have much going on right now. uh,
5: (laughs) Apparently, my hair grew back exceptionally
2: soft. Really? Yeah.
5: My
3: hair is very soft. No, my hair did that... grow
2: back really soft and straight, and then it got all crazy, and then I just shaved it and it fell out. Now, is that true? I heard, but I, I haven't verified this. Is it true that after chemo, your hair grows back super soft? Your hair can grow back different. My my dad had a best friend, her name was Iris, and she had uh, ovar- ovarian cancer, I believe. Stick, straight hair she had, and after chemo, it came back all fro. Interesting. And then I think she had it again, and it fell out again, and it came back stick straight. Interesting. He's in the chat room so he can confirm or deny what I'm saying. But I believe it is possible.
3: It's true that you can come back different.
5: Right. So I don't know how soft my hair was before, but it, you know, you can touch it later. It's super soft now. Okay.
2: I, I will take you up in the coming nose. up <laughs> after the stupid cancer Bomb chicken. Wow wow. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so at what point did you ever feel that it had been far enough along that it it was okay? Like by like junior high? High school, you still worried about it nine years later? You know, you're always seventeen.
5: My parents were always telling me not to drink too much because my liver, you know, took a hit. But I've had a few scares. There was uh, the lump under my armpit, which was nothing. Right. There was the bump in my stomach, which was nothing. And then there was the random occurring back spasms in college. And this was the last one. This was pretty dumb. Uh, I played a lot of basketball in college. Uh, Have flat feet. Took the orthotics out of my shoes one day, forgot to put them back in, and developed back spasms over the course of a few weeks that didn't go away. So we're going for all these different scans. Like all these doctors are looking at me. Was it was <laughs> one of them, Doctor Shoal? You know, one of them should have been Doctor Shoal. Uh, <laughs> one day I'm in the car with my dad. He's you know been freaking out about this. He goes, "How are the orthotics in your basketball shoes?" <laughs>
2: yes, you told me the story over drinks. I remember that. talking
5: about the orthotics in the back of my closet, right, Right. that aren't in my basketball shoes right now. When you take them out, about the time that your uh, back spasms started, you betcha.
0: Hmm.
5: So that was in college. And, you know, since then, you know, I go every year, 18 months, I follow up with my doctor. I've followed her everywhere she's gone. She's bounced around the city a little bit, and I'm very loyal to my oncologist. She's Shout out to Dr. Granowetter. uh, She's been very good to me, and I've followed her everywhere. Nice. And now
2: I... Back so, in Manhattan. So now you are one of the 350,000 Americans who are long-term pediatric cancer survivors in the young adult cancer world. Wow.
5: One of 350,000. Yeah. You are not special. No.
2: <laughs>
5: but that, that Despite what your rabbi to, may have
2: told uh, you at your mitzvah. Right. That's, that's right. better than one in a million. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's, that's a but, good group. But I think the message here is that, uh, you know, thankfully, treatments have come a long way. Absolutely. And a lot of children who are diagnosed no longer pass away immediately, or their lives are extended, or most of them actually live to grow up, but they grow up with tourists and issues and latent side effects and all sorts of happy crap. Um, So we have about a minute left. What is your message how do you live? What do you? Because you're getting married. Mazel tov, pre, pre, pre-mazel tov, on your pending nuptials. Your bachelor party is coming up soon. My bachelor party is coming up soon. So I hope you met a nice Jewish girl. I did meet a nice Jewish girl from Who, New Jersey. From New Jersey? From okay. New
5: Jersey. I can accept
2: that. Uh, and I, she loves you for all your faults. She loves you still.
5: Yes, all my shtick. Yeah. Yeah, she puts up with me. Yeah, Good. That, that's that's important. You know, I my message. I don't have a message, but...
2: Make something up. Make something lie up. to me.
5: Lie to you. I I like the fact that I, I feel normal and I, I've I've tried to uh to not to make cancer part of the fabric of me as opposed to uh to focus on it. I, I like that I've gotten busy living. Agreed. That for a message. That's
2: well done. Well you're gonna stick around for the rest of the show. I'll feel free to here. chime in. But again, I, I can't thank you enough for being here thank because this me. story needs to be told. There are so many long-term pediatric survivors that don't know that they could have a home in the young adult world, and we want to be there for them. And I'm one of them. I was diagnosed in Pete's. So I'm a customer of my own company, and you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Nice spot here. <laughs> All right, so no one's going to stick around. Let's get some news quickly and then get our, our main guests here. All right, Kenny. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, Matthew, you may or may not know that you can head on over
4: to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. We certainly don't want you missing out. we got some happy hours coming up in Durham, North Carolina. Going down my list, we have our We Spark group in Los Angeles that always meets up. And coming soon to the events calendar, St. Louis, North Carolina again, which is their July meetup, and New York City. Check in. We'll see you next week for the meetup.
2: Alrighty. righty. What if the Stupid Cancer Forums have almost 5,000 members, probably more now? We've been saying that for a long time.
0: They, this is
2: your have your 23,000 members. 23,000? 23, no, they don't. Okay. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.org and sign up with Facebook.
4: Matthew, if you haven't been over to the Stupid Cancer Store lately, you've... Might notice if you head over there now, it has a brand new theme layout template. It's new, it's shiny, and we have some new products in the store and coming into the store this summer. Head on over to stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud, wear stupid cancer.
2: All righty, and
0: that, that is, is your, your stupid, stupid cancer, cancer
2: news. news. We have way too much embarrassing fun with that one. All right. We're going to bring out, we have two of our three guests. The third will be calling in. I'm really, really excited. This has been a show I've been waiting to have for a long time. And uh, very rarely you get someone whose name, who who was a movie was made out of her story, and she's actually on the show.
3: Awesome, right? Yeah,
2: totally awesome. So anyway, Annie Parker is the subject of a new award-winning film called Decoding Annie Parker. After losing both her mother and sister to breast cancer, she was diagnosed as well, but her disease, wind up changing the world. And joining her right now, Sue Friedman, Dr. Sue Friedman, uh, was practicing small animal medicine in South Florida when diagnosed out of the blue at the age of 33 with what appeared to be breast cancer. She is now the executive director of FORCE, Facing Our Risk Empowered Cancer. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Sue Friedman and Annie Parker. Ladies. Hi there. Good evening everyone So Steve is not called in yet When he does we'll bring him on on live But uh, I can't thank you guys enough for for Being on the show I'm I'm so excited about all the press the movie's gotten All the awards it's been getting And uh, my first question is of course I kind of joked that up But Annie, you are a movie (laughs) And all you have to do is get breast cancer I'm sorry? All you have to do is get breast cancer
1: that's it. Breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and an unknown primary. Right. Three. Three cancers I've had, Matt.
0: Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>
1: See what you have to do to to get uh, a movie made about yourself.
2: I know. Like, you're raising the bar for everybody. What What's next?
1: Uh, yes, I don't know. Let's hope no more cancer.
2: No, let's hope. Oh, I, I'm you. in favor. We are all in favor of that here at the Stupid Cancer Show. No more cancer. Exactly. But I would, I would, I mean, your your story's out there. It's a it's a great film, and um, I would just love you to very briefly, for those out there who don't know, or who who really just want to hear you because they're excited that you're on the show tonight. Why don't you just talk about your mom and your sister and your story?
0: Sure,
1: I can give you a little background. Um, my mom passed away from a, a secondary cancer, but her primary site was breast. And she died at 52 when I was actually 13 years old. So not a really good age to lose. There's no good age to lose a mother, but certainly not when you're in your early adolescence. And um, at that time when I lost my mom, I really didn't know much about cancer. In fact, I knew nothing. I was young, and I understand that, but I do believe it was still very much a closet disease. So to lose my mother to a secondary cancer, when I didn't even know what her initial cancer was, was was very devastating. So um, I actually was raised by my dad and my sister, and I also have a brother. But then before my sister's 40th birthday, that would put me at about the age of 25, um, my sister was diagnosed with cancer, initial site breast and ended up dying from ovarian cancer before, again, her 40th birthday. And I also had a first cousin that passed away before her 40th birthday. Myself, I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 29 and had a radical mastectomy on my left breast at that age, and then uh, ovarian cancer at 38. And then, five years ago, I was diagnosed with an unknown primary behind my liver. So that's my cancer journey, um, and you know where my my family's today. But one thing I do want to say is that with cancer and it affecting my mother and my sister, it just doesn't affect the cancer patient. Back in the 60s and 70s, and, and even today, but at least today, people have um, organizations such as FORCE that they can go to to get help. And I know FORCE has, has a whole program around um, hereditary breast cancer and the, the BRCA1 gene mutation, which is fabulous, because back then we didn't have, I didn't have that opportunity. So it really tore, tore apart the family unit
6: and well, I can really relate to that. <laughs> if I may, this is Sue. There really wasn't anything for me out there either when I found out that my cancer was hereditary, and and for me and my journey, that's what prompted me to start FORCE because of that lack of information, and and it was it was just a black hole.
2: So exactly. as as young adult, I I just turned 39. I was diagnosed at 21 with brain cancer. And I'm going to be aging out of my own organization as a young adult a cancer survivor. But I look to the folks that had it a long time ago. I call you guys the alumni because you didn't know that there was the young adult world and all the unique issues that are faced. Um, that, that we faced. Did uh, either of you um, were counseled at all on fertility or anything age-appropriate no. at the time of your diagnosis? No, not at all. No, yeah, the
1: and it's one
6: of my dude, big no. regrets. Yeah, I, yes. I was getting ready to have a second child when I was diagnosed out of the blue. And um, I was very fortunate to be having um, surveillance for my breast. I, I didn't have a family history, but I had had a benign tumor removed. And um, that kind of led me down the road to eventually being diagnosed. and um, and then when i found out i had a brca mutation it was recommended that i remove my ovaries and in that entire time there really wasn't any discussion about options for parenting um or fertility preservation
1: and so well, may i just add too that i actually my mother actually was diagnosed with her primary her breast cancer when she was pregnant with me and so I've had cancer around me even before I came
3: into this world.
2: Wow. Well, um, Emily, you have a question?
3: Sue, when you were diagnosed, was the mutation BRCA1 or BRCA2, was that well known?
6: No, actually it was fairly early on. So I was diagnosed initially in 1996 with breast cancer. And they recommended uh, like like Annie's story, they recommended a unilateral mastectomy, so one side left side um ironically, and I had the mastectomy. I did not have a strong family history of breast cancer, but i didn't have a large family either and About nine months after my mastectomy, I was reading a magazine article about hereditary cancer. So back then, it was really, really new. So that was uh, 1997. Um, I was 33 when I was diagnosed. I was 34 when I learned about the RCA testing in a magazine article. And I was really, um, in reading it, I self-identified because it was talking about the red flags, and they said young onset breast cancer. And I'm thinking, yup, that's me and they said people of certain ethnicities are more likely to have a gene mutation and um they mentioned Ashkenazi Jewish which I am so I was two for two but it was also from the magazine article that I learned that a mutation could pass from the father's side or the mother's side of the family and that there was a link to ovarian cancer and for me that was what set off the red the red flag and the bells because course. Uh, you know as a veterinarian um so my paternal grandmother, my father's mother, had died young of an abdominal cancer, and that was the only other cancer in my family, and as a veterinarian, I knew enough about anatomy to think that perhaps that abdominal cancer was a ovarian cancer, so I read that magazine article, and certainly I would have made different surgical choices had I known I had a mutation and that I'd be at high risk for cancer in my other breast, so I was fairly disappointed with my healthcare team and the lack of information, then, and then soon after that, I had a recurrence to my lymph nodes. So those two things kind of prompted me to change um, where I was getting my care, and I ended up at a major cancer center where they had heard about BRCA testing and they did know about sending me to a genetic counselor. And then I ended up getting genetic counseling and testing, and finding out I had a BRCA2 mutation.
2: Well, well, Steve just joined us, so I'm going to unmute him. Steve. Uh... Welcome to the show. Steve Bernstein is the writer and director of uh, Decoding Annie Parker. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. Thanks very much. Yeah, sorry about the uh, confusion this morning, but we're really thrilled to have you.
7: Um, <laughs> no, I, I do like getting up at 5.30 in the morning, and it was entirely uh, entirely my fault. Uh, Annie and I have been traveling a great deal, so uh, I don't think I knew what time zone I was in, so my fault not yours.
2: I've got to tell you, if I ever did the show at 8 in the morning, I'd stab myself. In any case, uh, I'm really, again, I I was welcoming everybody and congratulations on... I'm glad you're exhausted because you're traveling for good reason and you're getting a tremendous accolade uh, for an amazing, amazing project. Uh, I'd love you to just talk about how you... What inspired you to start to believe that this could be a real film?
7: Well, um, it starts oddly because I wasn't looking for this uh particular uh, film. Um I'd been a cinematographer in feature films for a, a, a long time. And uh I had developed a friendship with a producer named Clark Peterson and produced a film called Monster, which I was the cinematographer on, which went on to win an Oscar and we had, had uh some considerable success and, and uh Clark had said, Look, Stephen, you really should uh, direct. You've helped a lot of first time directors along the way. Uh you've been a writer, you've written several books, you've worked in theater. Um, it would be right for you to be thinking about directing now. It's not something that I ever really wanted to do. It's uh, was way too painful of a process. Uh, far little reward, uh, spiritually, um, intellectually, and in any other fashion. People think it's a wonderful job. Um, it isn't. Um, it has its rewards, but not the ostensible ones that people might think it has. But um, he found some money in Canada. He said, Find a store in Canada if you can. Um, I began ringing some people I knew, and then someone told me Anne's story. I thought it so fascinating, so uh compelling I thought it uh, singular about a about about courage about uh indomitable spirit, and certainly about um catastrophic illness and how people uh overcome and that 's what I found most remarkable about annie 's story is uh how um she survived uh, spiritually uh, physically intellectually in every other sense. Uh, of the travails that she uh, she suffered. So I rang her up, we spoke, um, I used some of her stories as inspiration, I combined it with other stories that I knew, and in my research I came across the remarkable story of Mary Claire King, uh, the Bracadine, obviously linked to Anne's story, and that's the uh, genesis of this film.
2: Played wonderfully by Helen Hunt.
7: Um, Helen Hunt plays uh, Dr. King, and uh, the wonderful Samantha Morton uh, plays uh, Ann Parker. And I'm very happy to say, I don't know if you mentioned it before I got on, that uh, we just uh, had the great honor of Samantha Morton winning the Best Actress Award at the Seattle Film Festival, which is the biggest film festival in uh, North America or in the United States. And uh, we got the Best in Fests Award uh, as one of the top five films of 280 at the festival. So it's nice to know the film has some special merits, that attract the audiences, but the most special merit of all is the remarkable story of the remarkable woman that is uh, Ann Parker and the equally remarkable story of, uh, of Mary-Claire King, uh, two very important people in my life and I think for all of us.
3: We actually had not mentioned that yet, but we're glad you brought it up. When can the rest of us catch the film?
7: Well, what I decided to do, in, in, in conjunction with my partners, is we, uh, when we finished the film, we had the good fortune of people liking it very much. We had a series of tests. The film tested very well, and it was obvious the film was going to have a commercial life. But um, I spent uh, six years of my life, um, and Annie spent a great many years before that, uh, working and developing and honing her story. Um, and I thought it would be wrong if we simply sent it directly to a commercial release. So... What we decided to do was have something we call an altruistic window, and that is where we've reserved the film for six months, and we will be partnering with uh, various charities, um, in particular one charity called Force, uh, which is very important Uh to me and to many other people, um, and to several other charities, and we'll be showing the film around the country and in most instances uh, splitting revenue or simply raising money directly for the charities in uh, most of the big urban centers around the country and some smaller ones as well. And we want to do two things. Obviously, we want money to go to these charities, but we also want to uh, increase awareness. So for the next six months, um, there will be individual screenings. Uh, they will be announced. They will be on our website, which is uh, two different websites you can go to, one called Decoding Andy Parker, not the most imaginatively named websites, but that's what we call it. And um, the other one is Braca Gene Awareness, which is the wonderful uh, charity um, set up by our, our – uh, our, our dear friend, Sidney um, um, uh, Powell, and um, they will, people will be able to um, go there and they'll announce all the different uh, events that are upcoming and the different cities uh, that they'll be in. So um, go there and you can come see our film, or uh, in October it'll be on commercial release, I'm sure.
2: So the big word these days, uh, it's been around for a while now thanks to groups like Force, uh, is risk. Uh, reduce yeah. your risk of cancer, and that could be anything from don't live near a nuclear-toxic waste zone um, to try not to smoke too much, to, you know, hope you don't get diagnosed with cancer like I was. Uh, but there's this now practical risk, and
0: yeah. the
2: elephant in the room, of course, now is Angelina Jolie, and you yeah. can't not mention her. So i just love to hear from Sue. Uh has this helped or hurt?
6: Oh, I, I believe it has helped tremendously. So um a couple of things that are really important to understand about risk and that is, you know, not all risk is created equal. And certainly we know that most cancers are not hereditary. But, you know, if you look across the board at all the different types of cancers, about ten percent give or take is gonna be hereditary across all cancer sites. So, you know, it's not the majority, but for that group of people that's really significant Um, and we have ways of assessing people's risk for certain cancers and finding those people who are in the highest risk category and that's really what genetic counseling with an expert known as a genetic counselor and these are experts who have to have advanced training in genetics and you know keep up uh, continuing education because genetics is one of the fastest evolving areas of research that um, genetic counseling and then genetic testing, if warranted, can help us identify who's in these highest risk categories. And we do know that there are some preventive options or increased surveillance options that can improve survival or improve outcomes in people who are high risk. And, you know, we have evidence-based research that shows that. And really the most important thing is making sure that people go to the experts who are trained in genetic counseling because we know through FORCE. And, you know, FORCE has been around now for 15 years. I started FORCE in 1999 after I finished treatment for cancer, after I had prophylactic surgery and genetic testing and really needed a place, I felt there was a need um, for support place for support, credible information. Um, So we've been doing this for 15 years, and in in those 15 years, we've learned that where people go for information really impacts what their outcome is. So the Angelina Jolie story has really improved awareness, has decreased the stigma associated with genetic, having a mutation even and um, prophylactic surgery and mastectomy and reconstruction and all those things are very positive. And we're also hoping that it will help as more people get information about their hereditary risk and more people learn they have a BRCA mutation, we're hoping that it will also help um, get people into hereditary cancer research, because there are some new drugs being developed that specifically target vulnerabilities in hereditary cancer. So this is targeted research for people, for example, with BRCA mutations. And this isn't a dream, this is a reality. These, these drugs are in clinical trials right now. And um, that research cannot happen soon enough for many of us, because there's you know, still people who are being diagnosed and still people who are succumbing to hereditary cancer. So, you know, the two areas that we feel the increased awareness have impacted significantly are the numbers of people who find out they're at high risk and can take preemptive steps, but also the people who have been diagnosed with cancer who may qualify for a clinical trial that hopefully will help us find the drugs that will be life-saving.
2: Right. Well said. Well said. And to Stephen and Annie and the entire production crew around the film, I think it was a stroke of genius to partner around the momentum of the film as it was growing with some of the leading cancer organizations in the country. I remember as precedent, back when the movie 50-50 came out in 2011, uh, was it uh, Miramax or whoever it was reached out to us, or the production company was, uh, Lionsgate, I forget, and they reached out to us to Livestrong and some other groups, and we basically worked with them on screenings around the country and turn them into these educational workshops for hundreds and hundreds of cancer patients, survivors, and the general public. Uh, is that a direction that you think uh, you might be going in beyond the festivals?
7: Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, we, we've got a various tr- strategies. I mean, when the film comes out commercially, um, that's not going to be the end of its uh, charitable or contributory life. Um, we're trying to work out many different schemes, um, making sure that um, our Financial partners are happy with that as well, because uh, we we have many masters uh, to serve, but um, we 've got to make sure that we find a happy balance between the two. but we think that um, this film can be a platform for a great many things. We think to raise a great deal of money we think continue to wear, raise awareness uh, around about September the seventeenth or eighteenth we 're going to have our big uh, red carpet event um, in um, in Los Angeles at the Directors Guild Theater in conjunction with Force And that will just be one example of a platform that we'll create to uh, raise awareness and to bring in um, new partners. And with those new partners, there's all sorts of uh, manifestations that, that we will um, engender and create um, to do uh, good where we want to do good. What we've discovered, and I think we're one of the first feature films to really do this on a very, very large scale, is this is a platform for good and we want to make sure we keep uh, using that.
3: That's great. Sue, you mentioned before that one of the big goals of FORCE is raising awareness, especially for genetic testing. What are the costs associated with that and who should be tested?
6: Well, um, first, and that's a great question, and first I want to clarify, raise awareness about risk assessment, which includes genetic testing. But we don't promote genetic testing as much as informed decision making. And again, as I said before, making sure people know that there are experts trained in genetics that can help guide people because there are more than one genetic or hereditary syndrome that predispose people to cancer. There are other syndromes beyond BRCA, and many of the practitioners out there who are not um, experts in Genetics are aware of BRCA because the lab that does the commercial testing has told them about it. But um, what worries us is that you know there are other uh, genetic syndromes, and if people are just getting testing for BRCA, then they may miss um, important clues about their family's risk. So one of the things that's important to us is making sure that people um, know about genetic counselors, genetic counseling, and then genetic testing if appropriate. Um, the in the United States the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, there was just clarification. So for, um, for certain people who meet qualifications, um, according to the uh, Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, the insurance companies must cover genetic counseling and testing for people who qualify And um, meet guidelines without any cost sharing so that means without having to pay a copay and um, without a um, deductible without an out-of-pocket so that was actually that that improved access um, for a lot of people we know that not everybody can afford testing not all insurance companies will pay for it although most will again if people meet national guidelines And, you know, Medicaid does not pay for it in every state. I believe it's 31 states. We have a list on our website, by the way, of the uh, different ways that people can try and access testing. There are some copay assistance organizations out there, and oftentimes we're able to help people and guide them to, you know, resources in their area if they are underinsured. So there are ways to access it, and um, most insurances for people who are insured do cover the cost of genetic counseling and testing for people who meet national guidelines.
3: And if I'm a listener out there right now, how would I find a genetic counselor?
6: So I did want to just make a little plug. Our website is org. And we do have a list of how people can find a genetic expert in their area. They can also go to the National Society of Genetic Counselors, NSGC.org, and look for a genetic counselor in their area by zip code. And um, and you know they should put in cancer. Or we can we also help navigate people to that um, through FORCE.
3: That's great.
2: So Sue, from one young adult survivor or nonprofit founder to another, ha, ha, ha. which is we a rare read. Uh
3: ha-
0: ha- ha- yeah. <laughs> I mean really it's the
6: non profit that that swallowed my life. Um I was a practicing veterinarian and really had not ever thought that I would change careers. So, you know, I've been doing this for fifteen years and it's been a very different um trajectory than I expected my life would
2: take. No, there's only like seven of us in the whole country. So, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I <never swear.
0: laughs>
2: No, we were diagnosed in the same year. I was diagnosed at 21 in 1996. So, wow. Uh,
0: and I started baby. this
2: organization seven years ago. But wow. But I was going to ask you from a nonprofit perspective, you know, uh, this film project and um, Angelina Jolie coming out and other organizations that are cropping up and this being a real conversation, it must be giving force a huge, kind of like, we call it a boost in the rating. People are really looking <laughs> to groups like yours, like the Colbert bump, you know. Uh, yeah. Can you talk about some of the media <laughs> that's been going on? How have you been handling all the attention?
6: Yeah, well, again, just um, if I may, from one um, nonprofit founder and director to another, um, e- the attention is fantastic um, you probably understand and recognize that increase in attention does not always equal increase in donations so what <laughs> we're finding is that you know we are still in many ways a grassroots organization even though we're national and we are you know considered national leaders but um, but we have a very small staff we have a shoestring budget we have been fortunate that, you know, we have had a shoestring budget, um, but, you know, when there's a lot of attention and the resources are still the same then it does draw from it. So it's sometimes frustrating. There's so much more that we'd like to do and can do and um, you know, and are doing, but it's never as it's never as quick as we'd like it to be and you know one of the things that i mentioned was the new research on PARP inhibitors and that's a passion of mine is making sure that people know about these clinical trials so that we can direct them into it so that we can make sure that this type of research continues but there are so many other things that we would like to do and it, you know it does feed the passion it do, certainly feeds the awareness it's very gratifying to know at the end of a very long day <laughs> when I'm exhausted and I'm going to bed that you know we've we've made a difference in the lives of people so it is very gratifying and more people are finding out about force and um, getting credible information and that's important because you know the, it, Awareness is good, but you want to make sure that the awareness is is backed with good science and evidence-based, credible information. Especially in an area where people are going to make healthcare decisions based on the information that they get. And many of the people out there are they're taking preventive surgical steps, like Angelina Jolie. That you want to make sure they're getting the best, most up-to-date information as they move forward with that.
7: And this is right. Steve, and just to add to something that very quickly. Sure. Um, Everyone should understand that these screenings that we're having with FORCE, uh, the money from those is going directly to them. So one way to help FORCE out uh, with uh, these donations uh, is for people to come to these uh, these screenings. We're uh, not going to be taking profits from them. We're giving it to FORCE, and uh, the more people that come out, the more money uh, FORCE will have to do their very important work.
2: So, Annie, and um, uh, actually for all three of you, the uh, the inception of the idea of genetics in medicine really came from, you know, or at least the the, the the big thrush. Everything is about genetics today. There are so many different medications that target, like Levec and Receptin. Braga really gave birth to this entire medical line of thinking. Is that correct?
7: Um, I think so. Question. Yes, to, to a large, <laughs> it's a good question. I, I think we'd have to be geneticists to fully answer that, but um, yeah. I think it's certainly uh, hugely contributed. I think the, the work of Dr. King has been very significant, and I think that um, people are now considering genetics more and more important, and are of uh, going there as a as an area of research more than they would have had in the past. Uh, I think that I, would be I agree
6: with that. It certainly I helps to and and preventive medicine and you know really looking at um risk-based recommendations in the area of prevention, which is an area that I I hope we're moving toward instead of just, you know, national guidelines on screening for everyone. Um starting to take a risk-based approach um for many diseases.
0: Sorry,
1: I was just going to say, everything that Sue said, and she's the expert, I totally agree with, because awareness and education, but also for me, I think one of the important things is that women or people in general can take control, back control over their health. This is something I didn't have. I was told you need to have a radical mastectomy, you need to have your ovaries out, Um, There was no decision-making there uh, unless I I didn't want to prolong my life. But this way, with what Angelina Jolie, we've talked so much about her, um, she had that empowerment to make that decision, and I think that's very important.
2: Actually, you answered my question, Andy. is basically how does it feel when it's 40 years later to know that someone might not have to go through the horror that you went through?
1: It, it's just amazing. And, I mean, I, I just think that that's exactly, it puts a smile on my face that people are able to be to go and, and get all this counseling and make informative decisions and communicate with their doctor instead of when I went trying to tell doctors that I, you know, I had this uh, inkling that there was something going on in my family and it wasn't just bad luck that I got a pat in the head and, you know, was told that it, it couldn't be. And and that was just the times. I totally understand that. But uh it's just wonderful now. I mean, it, it's not a great decision to have to make. I feel really saddened about women that have to make this decision. But it also, again, puts a smile on my face to know that they have that control and they're that well-educated. Of course, well, it would also make a, a very sense. important.
7: There's a very important Supreme case, uh, Supreme Court case coming up. I don't know if you mentioned that earlier in the, the conversation, but um, I think in the next week or two, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court is going to be determining whether uh, Myriad Genetics, um, who well, holds the gene patent, right? yeah. uh, have a gene patent. That's right. uh, whether they can hold that patent or whether um, they cannot, and this is going to be whatever side of the fence one falls on in that issue. It's a hugely uh, important decision and it should be coming i think in the next uh, week uh, certainly in the next month at the outside so it's very important so it's been a conjoining of events obviously our film uh we would like to think has contributed to um, creating the popular conversation the very brave decision of editor um obviously has also contributed to it and then through a remarkable uh, bit of of uh serendipity um tragic serendipity the supreme court now was also making this decision about um, the ownership uh, and the patent and patenting of genes. Uh, so um, these are uh, important, uh,
2: important days. Well, as a nonprofit, we stand on the on the side of you cannot patent genes, and <laughs> no one owns that too. right to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we, are,
6: we are. Uh, we filed an amicus brief um, with the ACLU um, against the concept of gene patenting, and we are really hoping that the Supreme Court um, rules. Uh, that invalidates the patents, and and we think that that will open up access and also improve research.
2: Yeah, I have a whole shed full of pitchforks if they don't uh, agree with me.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole nother show, isn't
2: it? <laughs> yes. That's our pitchfork show next Monday, right? I <laughs>
5: like that. I, that yeah,
0: <laughs> it's like you
2: certainly once yesterday. the decision
1: comes down, that you
2: could have us back on. Oh, I could. We can be angry together.
0: Or <laughs> happy, <laughs> or no, I happy together, the, or right, celebrating. Yeah.
2: The
7: indication I have from the the, the people who are uh, more legally minded than I, and those <laughs> who've actually been uh, and, and I think argued from the Supreme Court, is that the likelihood, at least from what we understand, is that uh, they'll they'll find in favor of the plaintiff, so that. Uh, uh, these uh, patents will no longer stand. Uh, there may be some variation or nuanced ruling that's someplace in between, but we're led to understand that this
2: is the way that the court is likely to, to, to lean, although no one, of course, uh, knows till it happens. Agreed, agreed. Does Angelina Jolie know about the film?
7: Um, that's probably directed at me. I was hoping it wasn't. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: an open mic. It's an open mic. <laughs> yeah. um,
7: I <laughs> I um I I I think she's a remarkable a woman who made a very, very brave decision and um I would think that um in the coming weeks and months um um she may, we hope, uh come out in, in, in support of our uh, support of our film. I would be very surprised if she is unaware of our film. Um it's uh considering who our cast was and the people involved in its making. So um we're very hopeful that she may and can support uh and support the movie we you know i should also say by the way and and this may seem entirely inappropriate but i think i have to say as a filmmaker the film is kind of a life-affirming film i think people often forget that uh... stories about cancer can also be inspirational um... i think Anne's story is singularly inspirational and i think mary claire king is inspirational um, as well uh... this is about um, you know, Mary Claire king paying fifteen or actually she corrected me the other day as uh, she is inclined to do, of uh, 17 years of her life. <laughs> 17 years of, 17, and I mean that in the best possible way if Dr. King should yeah. be listening, but 17 years of her life doing research with very little um, evidentiary support and with not a lot of peer support either. But she believed this to be true. This was an incredibly courageous act on her part and one that led to one of the most important scientific discoveries of the 20th century. That is uh, remarkable. And Ann Parker. Is not only a very brave and very strong um, and very articulate uh, woman, as you've heard in this last half hour, but she's also extremely funny. So um, her irony in the face of huge individual d- difficulty just shows a depth of character that uh, very few of us uh, possess. So the story of these two women, to me individually, was an inspiration. Seems to be an inspiration to uh, to audiences, uh, to audiences as well. I should also just and point just out to add ad-
1: to what. The- Sorry, Matt, but to add what Steve said, it, sure. it it isn't. He hasn't made a movie about cancer. He's made a a movie that we all share about, you know, life, um, laughter, tears, relationships with family, um, friends. It, it it's not just a cancer movie.
2: No, we have a running joke in in our universe that as long as a cancer movie does not have Deborah Winger, it should be fine.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Nothing against her as an actress. But the character, in terms of endearment, bad message, long time ago. You. Uh, it, yeah. it, it is worth mentioning that you do have an all-star cast: Maggie Grace, Alice Eve, who is in the new Star Trek as well;
0: Helen Bob gutton,
2: Helen Hunt, Bradley Whitford, Richard Schiff, Aaron Paul, uh, and Samantha Morton, who won the award, and, and Helen Hunt. That's and,
7: uh, and 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 Rashida Jones as well. And Rashida uh,
2: Jones,
7: that's right. Of course, all the list. Sorry. The list oh, goes yeah. on, and and I got to pay tribute to all those actors. This a film that was um, uh, done on a shoestring. Shoestring, one of our operative words uh, this uh-huh. afternoon. But uh, this was this was done with uh, very very little money, um, and uh, we wrote the script, um, and then we approached the actors. And the first thing I had to say to virtually every actor was, just so you know. Uh, I have no money, and that isn't (laughs) a typical (laughs) inducement. Um, for an actor to do a role, but the actors we got had an enormous uh, depth of character. They cared deeply about the issues. They loved the script, and they were delighted uh, to collaborate with. We had a, a great time uh, making this, uh, this important film. Helen was marvelous, and Samantha gives an incredible uh, performance. Uh, remember in Seattle, we were up against 280 uh, other films, and we had one of probably the smaller budgets. We did it for around $2 million, which for a movie is a very, very small sum indeed. And somehow Samantha won the Best Actress Award in that entire festival. So um, it shows how great she is. uh, It also shows how self-sacrificing, despite the the bad rep that Hollywood uh, sometimes has, uh, that that actors uh, can be. And uh, they had to make a considerable sacrifice, every one of them, to be in this film because they believed in the issues. Well, it's clearly paid off.
2: Um, So far. (laughs) Yeah,
3: It's very exciting.
2: Well, this is my my ask, is if you decide to do screenings of the film for, like, uh, public education or working with non-profits, please consider Stupid Cancer and Ally. And if you do ever have a film event in New York City, count us in to bring the crowds and make it rain.
7: Um, I promise you we will have uh, screens in New York City. We plan to have them all around the country. Right now we're looking at something around 52 cities. For the charitable release of the film before it goes to commercial release, so we want to raise a great deal of money uh, for charities. We want to raise a great deal of money for our friends at Forest. Uh We want to uh, create uh, um, a great deal of uh, awareness. We want people to be um, contributing, thinking, and helping wherever they can. So um, New York is uh, very much uh, on our
2: on our map. Well, by all means, Sue. You and I are besties now, so we'll we'll take care of this in post.
6: <laughs> Definitely. Please stay in touch. And, absolutely,
2: um, absolutely. Um, all right. So, really quickly, Sue. Again, the website is uh, facingourrisk.org.
6: Ourrisk.org, correct? Okay. And decoding Annie
3: Parker.
2: Dot com, uh, uh, dot com or um, probably more Broca-gene
3: the
7: BracaGene awareness, the awareness um, run by Sydney Powell. Um, and um, that's we'll have a list of all our screenings and all the information about uh, what we're
2: doing, where we're doing it, and how we're doing it, and uh, people can go to that site and see where the film is going to come next. Great. Well, I cannot thank you guys enough for taking the time this evening to join us on the Stupid Cancer Show to talk about this amazing film project. We wish you nothing but success with it, and we want to help you as much as we can every step of the way. Thank Thank you so much.
0: much. Thank
6: Thank you you for having us. Thank
2: Thank you, everybody. Good luck. Take care.
3: Thank you, Doctor. Good
2: night. Reuben Bernstein, Sue Friedman, and the lovely Annie Parker from Decoding Annie Parker. Good show. Great show. Learned a lot. I can't wait to see this film.
3: I've only seen the previews,
2: but I, you know, I want to do the screening like we did with Fifty Fifty. Great screening.
3: Preview was great for this. We had like
2: 120 people come to the New York screening last two years ago, two summers ago. Kenny was just a pup. Time flies. No, this is really cool. We can get all the local charities behind it. Maybe we can even screen it at OMG East. Spend the would day. Be awesome. We'll check out. I'll am I'll, I'll I'll get back with Sue and we'll, circle back. Well again, yeah, this this whole young adult survivor nonprofit founder club. Very, very small club. Super small. Heidi Adams, Sam Eisenstein, mm-hmm. Johnny Ruman,
0: Tamika Felder,
2: uh, Randy Rosenberg, formerly of the Young Survivor Coalition, she passed away. Uh, Lance Armstrong,
0: Chris Island,
2: yeah, Chris Island. Anyway, all right. Well, this was a great show as I go through puberty on the air. Um, And uh, Noah, any final thoughts as a breast cancer survivor? (laughs) (laughs) How are your ovaries? How are your ovaries doing?
5: Quite well, thank you. Yes. Yeah, we're still there. Last time we checked, so
2: we're good. So, what do you think of genetics and all this stuff? You know. Ashkenazi Jew, I'm curious. Tay hey,
5: Sachs, Tay Sachs, I'm curious. You know, I wish that I got biology better. That was not one of my strong subjects right. in high school, but I wish I understood this a little bit better because I'm curious. I'm ready to learn more.
2: I was just at this uh Kenny knows this because we discussed it I was at this meeting um at TedMed last month with probably 25 of the leading genetic and genomic uh startup industry guru people in a room together and they don't talk to each other but our board chairman brought them all together and said you're going to shut up and talk to each other and they did and what I learned was that you know I didn't know any of this as fact but the Human Genome Project is now 10 years old, they just started the Human Brain Project which is going to take another 10 years to map the brain and that's actually being done by the Weitzman Institute for Science which I'm an advisor for and um, they want to basically start sequencing people like normal, like go to Rite Aid and buy a sequencing kit and have your data shipped to a company de-identified. It. You're not gonna know who you are, but you know ship your your. So the problem was it took like something like 15 billion dollars in 10 years to sequence one person for the Human Genome Project. 15 billion dollars in 10 years. Today it takes three days and costs 10 grand.
4: That raises a lot of social issues. Because what if you submit your DNA and then it, it comes up on some murder database and they have this de-identified DNA? No, but d- then DNA, it's but
2: not DNA. It, it's your it, – there are three billion letters in the human in one chromosome that, you know, adenine, cyanine, guanine, and lysine, the four uh, amino acids of DNA. That went over my head. Okay? No, and no, no, I have no idea yeah. what
3: you're See, talking about. So you missed about.
2: biology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
3: didn't even take biology.
2: All right, so the DNA okay, is, is composed of four chemicals. Sure. There are four chemicals in the DNA, adenine, cyanine, guanine, and lysine. And those form any combination of letters as the strand gets built. A strand is three billion of those letters, and no person has the same three billion in, in that order. So every single person is unique genetically. So if we're able to, this, and I'm not saying this right because I'm not a scientist, I just remember what I learned at this crazy meeting, that the future of medicine is all about getting people sequenced and creating this giant DNA donor bank, and then cross-referencing all the stuff that's wrong with you with all the stuff that's right with everyone else, and then finding out how to fix what's wrong with you based on what's right with everyone else. Well, They're getting rid of like, double-blind studies. They're getting rid of, like, this is a whole amazing new way of thinking about science.
3: This is the future.
2: It is the future because it cross-pollinates across all diseases. It's not a cancer researcher or an autism researcher or an MS researcher or an HIV researcher. It's just science of your body my
4: favorite science joke ever was if i were an enzyme i'd be dna helicase so i could unzip your genes
2: (laughs) i
3: have no words
2: all right well anyway it was a good show
3: well speaking of the future yes next week
2: you may come back I can come back? You may come back.
3: That's fantastic. All right.
2: Emily is welcome to come back. Thank you for being a wonderful guest co-host. Now we don't have to relocate. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It is now time, folks, for our closing sequence.
0: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever
2: seen a grown man naked?
0: And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping You are a meathead Oh, Magoo, you done it again That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer
4: All right, folks, that's our show, number 268 We hope you as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer Did we have fun
2: poking a stick? Uh, we poked it hard <laughs> Thank our guest, Noah Zachary The lovely Annie Parker, Stephen Bernstein, and Sue Friedman from sports.
3: And next week, I'll be back, and we'll be talking about surviving cancer. There's an app for that? As the world goes mobile and advances in cancer rely more and more on high-tech solutions, living with and managing cancer means new tools for survivors and caregivers. Join us as we discuss this issue with Alex Fair, co-founder and CEO of MedStarter, Jean-Luc Neptune, SVP of Health 2.0, and Dr. Carly Perry, NCI Program Director. Survivor Spotlight is on your friend and mine, Paul Berman.
2: Paul Berman! Alrighty. Okay, if you've missed any of our past shows, you can download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.org, or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks. If it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane.
0: Emily Morrison. (laughs) I had to make
2: sure you weren't any. Myself and the whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday live at 8 p.m.
0: Johnny.